We're going to go to Luke chapter 18, and um, if you have a Bible, great. If you don't, no worries. It'll be up on the screen. You're going to find out real quick. I'm a Jesus guy. I believe Jesus is God, changed my life. Church Home exists as a community that endeavors to follow uh, the teachings of Jesus, the life of Jesus, and we believe that Jesus is God. That does not mean that's what you have to believe to be a part here and belong here, be loved, valued, protected, heard, and seen here at Church Home. Everyone is welcome here. Uh, we got way more in common than we do not. But you're going to find out quick. I take all of my life lessons, teaching, training from the person of Jesus and his teachings and his way of life, his death, burial, and resurrection has transformed the universe as we know it, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so that's going to come out tonight, whether you like it or not. Uh, but just know that you are welcome here. And for those that love Jesus, follow Jesus, fantastic. For those who are unsure or maybe have questions or doubts or frankly just don't believe, um, we are so glad that you're here and you are so welcome. And um, I just think it's awesome that you came tonight. And um, are, 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 you, are you ready? Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18, and we're going to look in the Message Bible, so I'm going to read it from the screen. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. It's a parable. Words of Jesus now. He told his next story to some who were complacently pleased with themselves over their moral performance. What a statement. Were complacently pleased with themselves over their moral performance. And looked down their noses at the common people. Two men, Jesus said, went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax man. The Pharisee posed and prayed like this. I like that he posed. The I grew up skating, skateboard. Do you remember the worst insult to skaters? You're such a poser, bro. You're such a poser. Um, anyways, I could go on and on. Okay. The Pharisee was a poser and he prayed like this. Oh God, Thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, crooks, adulterers, or heaven forbid, like this tax man. I fast twice a week, tithe all on all my income. Meanwhile, the tax man slumped in the shadows, his face in his hands, not daring to look up, said, God, give mercy, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Jesus comments now at the end of his story. He says, this tax man, not the other, went home made right with God. If you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. Wow. If you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you will become more than yourself. Wow, if you're content to be simply yourself, you'll become more than yourself. Some of you may recognize this scripture in another translation. For those who, who exalt themselves will be brought low or humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. The series we've been doing, this is I think part seven or eight. I'm not eight. Eight, Chelsea's saying eight, or she's saying I ate already. Um, it's like, oh, Judah, okay, here we go. Um, I got so much makeup on tonight. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm kind of feeling it. Can't feel my face. But um, the older I get, the more makeup we use. That's just how we're rolling these days. But we're doing a collection of talks entitled What I Wish More Preachers Would Say. And maybe like you don't like preachers. Not mad at that. Um, I think there's a lot of things preachers don't say. And I just wish they would say some of the things they, or I should say we, my own kind, we don't. Say. So we've talked about a number of different things. Tonight, I wish more preachers would say, I was wrong. I was wrong. I wish more preachers would say, yo, my bad, I was wrong. I was wrong. And of course, by saying I wish more preachers would say this, it should be noted, I guess I wish more Jesus followers, followers would be willing to admit, hey, I was wrong wrong. Will you join me in prayer? God, thank you for the moments we share. Thank you for bringing us all in this building at the same time tonight in Beverly Hills. God, I pray right now, Lord, for those watching in Seattle, for those watching on Church Home Global, on the app, online, or those in this auditorium right now, I thank you. You are going to speak to us and you are going to meet us. This is what we need. We don't need another dialogue. We don't need another monologue. We don't need another speech. What we need is to understand who you are and what you're doing in our life. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. 
and prepare and watch over the Seattle Seahawks to have the greatest season we have ever had in the NFL. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Go Hawks. So I was away from Chelsea the last night. A couple nights ago, I was um, with a friend getting to see the U.S. Open, the practice rounds, which is pretty exciting. So couldn't wait to get home. I always miss Chelsea. I hate being away from Chelsea. Woman of my dreams, as I said, 19 years, coming up on 20. We got three kids. It is, she is my best friend. She really is. Um, we've had some challenging times. Chelsea's obviously had to grow up a lot. And... <laughs> All right, I've had to grow up a little bit. Today we sat around discussing how much I don't do around the house with my mom who happens to be here. And my mom just pretty much looked at Chelsea and said, I'm sorry, you know, like I, he doesn't do anything. Um, we really couldn't figure out what I do. And um, so I, I threw out preaching, I, I, I do that, you know. So anyways, um, that's not the point. So last night we get home, have a great night. We, we get back to the house out with some friends for a little bit. We get back to the house and we end up getting in an argument. This is my second week in a row that I have revealed to you that Chelsea and I got into an argument. Okay, I'm putting myself out there, folks, okay? I know it's hard for you to realize I'm not perfect. Like, Judah, we never thought you were, buddy. <laughs> That's another weird thing preachers say. Hey, I know it's hard to believe, but I'm not perfect. And everyone's like, oh, gross. Um, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> anyways, um, so Chelsea and I kind of, she says something that kind of frustrates me. And I'm like, what? And we, we start arguing. Now, what Chelsea's really great at, I mean, fantastic, the best in the world, frankly, as far as I'm concerned, she can shelf a conversation. Do you know what I'm talking about? She has the capacity, the wherewithal, the ability, the self-control, I don't know, the agility to just shelf a conversation. You know what? Let's talk about this in the morning. I'm not wired that way, right? I'm wired in a way like we have to talk through this right now or I will not sleep, right? So Chelsea's reading, probably reading some book about Jesus and how she can be more like Jesus. And she's reading her book and I'm trying to fall asleep. And so I would roll over and be like, I just, you need to understand. And she would again say, let's just talk about it in the morning. So I actually, this is part of this story is because I'm very proud of myself last night. I went to bed. I didn't finish the conversation. I was like, you know what? I need to calm down. I need to get some perspective. In the morning, I will calm down. I woke up in the morning. You ever had this happen? You woke up in the morning. You look back at the night before and you're like, I'm an idiot. <laughs> now that could, be, that could be for a number of reasons, ladies and gentlemen. But I'm talking more specifically like, like somebody like, yeah, for sure. And I'm like, no, no, different. But um, have you, <laughs> have you ever looked, it's hot in here. I'm just going to say that just for what it's worth. I'm really glad I'm wearing linen because it's hot up here. Okay. So, um, but you know, you wake up the next morning, you look back, you're like, I'm an idiot. And here's the point of our whole argument. What Chelsea had, the wherewithal, self-control, the ability and agility to shelf it for the morning. Here's the point. I just couldn't admit I was wrong. And Chelsea was so clear because she was saying, it's not what you did. It's your response when I called out what you did. It's how you reacted. And I'm like, I did not react. What are you talking about? Like, Wait a minute. Now I've reacted because she said I reacted. And in that moment, simple, just, you know what, babe? You know what, babe? You're right. I, I was wrong. I was wrong to do that. That's all it took. But here I am, a 40-year-old man. There it is. I mention it every time we're together. A 40-year-old man married for 19 years, having a petty argument with the woman of my dreams. And she insists that I just go to sleep because I did not have the ability, capacity, wherewithal, or agility to say I'm wrong. I'm wrong. What is that? After 19 years, I know this woman has my best interests in mind. I know she loves me. She knows I love her. A small little argument, I can't even stop and go, I'm wrong. 
No, I want to argue. And of course, that's why she said, just go to sleep, because I want to argue. And I want to prove what? What do I want to prove? I want to prove that I'm right. I want to prove that I'm not wrong. Sometimes you just, you, just, you just need to be right. Oh, wait a minute, not sometimes, all the time? All the time. You ever had somebody like in your life who they, they, they have to be right all the time? Oh, really? You've never had anybody? Then you're probably that person, just to be clear. So you're like, no, no. Oh, that's you. <laughs> so, and what's crazy, extreme examples, extreme relationships or friendships where, you know, the person who's always basically to be right, it's called a know-it-all, ladies and gentlemen, that person who's always like, no, nah, that's not real. It was actually 1989. It was 1988. And you're like, bro, ballpark, ballpark, 88, 89, same thing, right? But they always have to be right. Eventually what happens? They drive you wild. It's like, ah, just no, I want to be wrong now. Right? You can be right and still be wrong. But what is it in the human condition? We always want to be right, but we've proven historically that always being right is actually not the key to happiness, fulfillment, and success in life. In fact, the most likable people are not the people who are always right. In fact, some of the people you're most attracted to are the people who are most often in your social circles Willing to go, oh, man, I'm an idiot. That was dumb. I'm so, you're right. I'm wrong. And you're like, I like that person. <laughs> Am I right? You see what I did there? It's true, though. We always, I mean, there's a person right now you are attracted to, and you're like, I need to ask him out. I need to ask her out. And maybe already you've had an encounter with this person where they were talking, and you were like, actually, when that happened was in the early 90s, and they're like, really? That's a, I never knew that. That's incredible. I always had that wrong. Wow, you're so smart. And suddenly you're like, I am attracted to this person. <laughs> so why is it that what's attractive to us is someone who's willing to say, I was wrong, but we resist it and fight it late into the night? until the person who loves you most tells you go to sleep because you can't even admit you were wrong. You were wrong. In fact, I don't want to be wrong so bad. I will overreact when people say I'm wrong. And I hope that the emotion covers the fact that maybe I was wrong and I can just get somebody, I can, I can push them to a place where they're fine, like, fine, 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 you're right, whatever, I don't care. I don't, why are we fighting? We're fighting because you said I was wrong and I'm right. And it's amazing how much energy and passion and emotion and how much time we spend in our thinking around always trying to prove we are right. We're right. I don't want to be wrong. Being wrong doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. I had a conversation with a friend yesterday who's just brilliant, way smarter than me, and he was saying something, and I, I had some facts to back it up, and I had that moment. You ever had one of those moments? You're like, it's like four guys in a conversation, and I'm like, I, and what I wanted to do is kind of go, actually, boom, 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 one, two, three, bam. I'm gonna go to the bathroom. You think over my correction, right? But then I waited. I don't always do this. Then I waited in my mind. Nobody wants that guy around. That's what I sold to myself. Judah, nobody wants that guy around. Let it go. And I said this, you may be right. You may be right. And we just changed the conversation. But I had to do self-talk just to do that. Some of you are like, you have a problem. You have a problem. <laughs> I... What was wrong? Here, here's one of the ways we cover up the reality that we're wrong often. I mean, that's just, that's it's called the human condition. You're going to be wrong a lot. That's actually the facts. Notice, Jesus says to a group of people who thought that they were um, better than other people because of their moral excellence. So Jesus said, all right, how will I show these people who they, I'll tell them a story. Two guys go to the temple to pray. Again, his audience would have been familiar with the synagogue, familiar with the temple. He says two guys go to prayer. The first guy is a Pharisee. Now, Pharisee would be an elite temple teacher 
leader, be an elite person, a brilliant person, a person who's memorized most likely the first few books of the Old Testament. This would be a very esteemed person. When a Pharisee walked the streets, they enjoyed the fact that they were kind of acknowledged, that the, the people got out of the way for a Pharisee. A Pharisee was an elite human, so Jesus purposely says, the Pharisee goes to the temple, and then he chose one of the least liked, in fact, the most disliked person amongst the Jews, which was the tax collectors. They were considered non-Jews. He says, so an elite teacher of the synagogue goes to pray, and a tax collector who's not even welcome in the synagogue goes to pray. And actually, the story goes pretty much according to plan to the audience. He says, the tax collector says to himself, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like probably looking at I'm not like other people. I'm not a thief. I'm not a robber. I'm certainly not like this task. I just, Lord, I just want to say thank you that I'm better than most people. And that's what we do, isn't it? That's the human condition right there in a nutshell. What we do is we compare to cover the fact that we're wrong. Am I wrong? This is my favorite. In our culture now, nobody wants to be right and wrong. Now we're just, everybody, we're not wrong, we're just different. We're just different. Right? So you believe in gravity. I don't believe in gravity. Nobody's right or wrong. We're just different. Right? Like, but that's, that's, that, that's, that's, that's the statement running around now. It's like, hey, what's cool for you is cool. What's right for me is right for me. Everybody's different. It's awesome. Now, I love the recognition, the honoring, the loving, and the valuing of all humanity, but we cannot do away with the fact that there are some absolutes in this universe. And there is such a thing as wrong and right. And when we feel the sinking sensation that we might be wrong in an area or an instance or an act, what do we do? Well, I'm not a murderer. I didn't kill nobody. So that's our standard now, right? That's what he's doing. He said, I don't break into people's homes and take their stuff and their things. So... And then was he to find somebody like him? And this is what we do. We feel in our God-made soul something's wrong. I might be wrong. Preachers, we can be wrong. But what we do is we compare to make ourselves feel better. You know what's crazy? The one guy is looking around. The other guy, Jesus makes very clear, isn't looking anywhere. He's got his face in his hands. One looks like he's strong. The other looks like he's weak, but it's the opposite. But the Bible says, when I am weak, then I am strong. And God's grace is upon my life. But we're told in culture, stand up, compare yourself qualify yourself, justify yourself, explain yourself. Oh, you know something, something ain't wrong. You're just different. Look at him, look at her, look what they did. Look how bad they are. They're incarcerated. They did this, they did that. Come on, you're a, you're a, you're a contributing citizen to society. You're not wrong. You're different. You're fine. You're good. It's okay. Happens to us every day, right? I mean, I, you know how many things I have justified and qualified in my own conduct and actions? And do you know how I've done it? By, by looking at other people. Well, I, I will never do that. I would never tweet that. <laughs> oh my, God, that is beneath me. And we ignore, and so we never actually grow in the area of admitting we're wrong. I would like to propose to you that part of your enjoyment, part of your fulfillment, Part of the meaning and purpose you will experience in your journey on earth is directly connected to your willingness to admit you are wrong when you are wrong. Hey, I'm telling you, you'll have a better marriage. You'll have better friends. You'll have a better social circle. Your boss will like you better. Or maybe you'll become the boss because you're willing to be wrong. Hey, that's, that's my bad. I was, I was wrong. I, thank you for taking that. You find somebody who will take ownership. 
can, can we just use our imagination? Can you imagine the planet if for the last hundred years, every person that was wrong just stood up and said, that's on me, I was wrong. Can you imagine the catastrophes we would have avoided, the carnage that would have never happened? If for the last, I'm just talking the last hundred years, I'm not even talking about thousands of years, that every person who did wrong was one to go, yo, my, my bad, am I wrong? Wait, what? I was wrong. Really? But you got all these people, yeah, well, I need to tell all the people, fault. I was wrong. We can cancel the get together. I was wrong. Really? Yeah. And so if I was wrong and you're all fault, you're wrong. Canceled. Oh, think about it. It's actually that powerful. Some of the complexities you might be facing right now in your journey on earth might be completely, or I should say, maybe directly connected to your willingness or your unwillingness to admit, I was wrong. I was wrong. The man in a puddle, if you will, knows he was wrong. One man won't admit he's wrong. The other man will. He is just aware. He's self-aware. I have done wrong. Here's four ways we do it wrong. Here's four ways. And these are not exhaustive by any ways, but I think they're four very prominent ways because it's occurred to me upon studying this concept of admitting you're wrong, knowing you're wrong, that there's four primary areas that I see particularly in the New Testament. Number one, we start here. I was wrong, comma, I sinned. I was wrong, I sinned, therefore I am wrong. Now the Bible teaches us this. Sin is not a popular term. It's, not a po it's been actually used to make people feel very bad about themselves and that was never the intention. We need to define sin, but for a moment, let me reference the scripture. It says all mankind, every man, woman, boy, and girl that's ever been born since Adam and Eve, all of us were born in sin. All have fallen short of God's standard. The word sin literally implies there's a mark and you missed it. There's a mark and you missed it. Now that kind of takes a little bit of the cultural connotation away from sinner, sinner, sinner. The point is this, it's a universal fact, there is a mark. Whether we like the mark, whether we agree with the mark, there is a mark and we've missed it and we keep missing it. So the first admittance for all human mankind is, hey, I was wrong because there's a mark and I've missed it. Now, this is obviously, I'm working from a premise that there's a God. This God has set up a standard. That standard we cannot meet, we have not met, we will not meet. That is exactly, keep in mind, it is because of error. It's because of missing the mark. Because we don't hit the mark, we have to pay for our error. Look at society. You do something wrong, there are consequences. That's what keeps our continent from chaos, our country from total mutiny and chaos is there's consequences for error. Where did that concept come from? God. So everyone that misses the mark has to pay the penalty, but the penalty is death. We were intended by God to live forever. We are eternal beings. The stakes are astronomically high. And what God does not want is for us to live eternally in a place of damnation and judgment attempting to pay for our own missing of the mark. So he says, no, I do not want human mankind to pay the penalty and live eternally tormented, attempting to pay what they cannot pay, the judgment for missing the mark. I am going to put on skin and bone and I am going to take the judgment I'm going to take the penalty, the consequences for their missing the mark. And do you know why we miss the mark? Because we're selfish. We're selfish, inherently selfish. I don't, mean to, I don't mean to patronize you or insult your intelligence, but when a baby learns their first few words, it's like mom, dad, ball, mine. Because we're selfish. We serve ourselves by nature. God is selfless. Servant by nature. We miss his mark constantly. Jesus came, was perfect, the perfect servant, perfectly selfless, gave his life, hung on the tree, 
penalty by death, paid the ultimate penalty, said it is finished, dropped his head, suffocated in his own blood. The earth shook, it went black, dark. There was an earthquake. Jesus was put in a rich man's tomb. Three days later, he rises again, appears to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses. Those eyewitnesses pass it down throughout generations. We now have a book and Jesus has changed time and space as we know it. He has paid the ultimate price. I was wrong. I sinned. And that's where Jesus and his ministry and his life begin to take shape and understanding in your own life. When you come to the place that Jesus took your place. He who knew no sin became sin so that I might become the righteousness of God and that I might become right in my relationship with God. So the first place we have to admit we're wrong. Preachers have to admit they're wrong. Preachers should admit they were wrong more often. I was wrong. What do you mean? I sinned. I sinned. And it was wrong. I've missed the mark and I am missing the mark, right? But what the church is not comfortable with, we love to talk about when we sinned in 89. Something about 89 tonight, I don't know what it is, but we love to talk about when we did something bad in 1992, but nobody wants to talk about two o'clock today. It's just not allowed in church. I don't know where we came up with this, but we just, we're not allowed to do that. Hey, today I went off on this guy. Right, we don't wanna, but we need to actually get better at that. Hey, I was wrong, I, I missed the mark today. I missed the mark today. There is a God, he has a mark, we can't hit it. Of course, this mark was set, not because he knew we couldn't hit it, but the way he made Adam and Eve, they were sinless, it was perfect, but he allowed them a measure of free will so that love would not be forced, it would be by choice and we chose ourselves. A missed, I, 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 I sin. Another level of admitting we're wrong is, I was wrong, comma, I failed you. I failed you. I failed you. Now this is hard because it's one thing to say, hey, I, I, I've sinned, I've done wrong. It's a whole other level to say, hey, I was wrong because I let someone down that I love. I was wrong because I didn't follow through. I was wrong because I didn't say, I didn't do what I said I would do. Hey, I was wrong. And wouldn't that be refreshing? Let's just, let's just use our God-given imagination today. Can you imagine if in all of our relationships, when someone said, hey, I see you there Friday, 3.30, let's do it. Coffee, I'm paying. This is one example, 3.30. 335, 348, 402, text, where are you? No reply. You see him next Wednesday, next Sunday. Hey, I thought, we didn't, didn't we say like coffee bean in Ventura? Where, where? Oh, oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Oh, man, yeah. My bad. I, I was like, I had... Uh, yeah, I thought it was a different place. Yeah, I was, I was trying to get traffic, stuff. And you're like, you forgot. They're like, no, no, I, no, no. I just had something came up. I didn't, you know. Wouldn't it be refreshing if someone's like, you know what? I was wrong. I didn't care enough to follow through. You know what? I didn't care enough to write it down and make sure I was there. That's my bad. Will you forgive me? That's totally inappropriate. And I'm really sorry I disrespected your time. I mean, can you? <laughs> you would be like, get over here, give you a hug. You can, you can stand me up anytime. I'll be a coffee bean every day waiting for you. Come when you can, right? Like, but that's not how it works. We're like, and then of course, if you're like, hey man, like you said you'd be there. I wish, you know, it just, I sat there for like a, an hour. And what's the normal response? Whoa, 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 yo, my bad, all right. Well, you know how it is, okay? Relax, all right? We've all been there, all right? I had something on. I'm, I was busy, you know? That's what we do. Instead of admitting, hey, I was, I was wrong. I, I gotta show you something I've never seen before in, in the Bible ever until today, true story. 
So Peter, we've talked about Peter a lot. He's one of the 12 disciples. He's the only one we think over 21 years old. He's the guy that gets a lot of camera time. He has a lot of lines. He has a lot of moments where he really puts his foot in his mouth, right? Peter is the guy who tells Jesus, I will never deny you. I will always be there. And then a few hours later, denies Jesus three different times. In fact, his final time on, in, on the night before Jesus is crucified, Peter is at a bonfire with the junior high girl. And the junior high girl goes, hey. And he goes, no. And in fact, if you transliterate the, the, the language, he literally said, God damn me if I know Jesus. He says, it. he says, let God damn me if I know Jesus. I did some research on, on the language and I'm like, he literally said, I hope that I am damned from God if I know Jesus. Junior high girl was like, all right. And all right, I get it. And the rooster crows, crows three times and he remembers the words of Jesus before the rooster crows three times, you'll deny me three times tonight. So like the redeeming part of the story, if you remember, we read it recently, is, is after Jesus' resurrection, he, 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 he meets Peter back at his old work, which is a fisherman, and he meets him on shore and he fixes some breakfast and he restores him and they have this conversation. It's beautiful and we talked about it. But then there's the book of Mark, the book of Mark, the book of Mark. And for some reason, there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark never records the beach scene, never records the restoration. Now, do you know how Mark was written? Mark writes as Peter dictates. So the gospel of Mark, in reality, is the gospel of Peter. It is Peter's telling of the story. Here is Peter's telling of the story. Here is the last verse in Peter's book ever spoken about Peter in the story. Here it is, Mark 14, 72. Peter's words, dictated to Mark, Mark's writing. Immediately the rooster crowed a second time and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. Sorry, I said three times, it's twice. And, and here's the last words Peter ever says about himself in his gospel. He says, and he broke down and wept. Now I started thinking to myself, Peter, this is your chance to kind of be like, hey, I really screwed up, but we patched it up. Like it's all good. Jesus is using me because the other gospels record Jesus telling Peter, you do love me. I'm going to use you. It's going to be great. And I love you. And it's like this awesome reunion. Why doesn't Peter record that about Peter? Why does he leave that part? Why is that the last verse he leaves in the story about himself? Do you see what's happening? It's as if Peter wants you to know in his side of the story, hey, I was wrong. I failed him. I did not follow through. It's as if Peter, for all of us as an example, is saying, I'm owning this in my story. This is how bad it got. Now, here's the caveat. The only people who can live like this are secure people. And I'm going to tell you how Peter left that as the last verse about himself in the story. It's because by then he was secure in the love of Jesus. And it takes a very secure person who knows they are loved to go, hey, I was wrong. I let you down. I did not follow through. I failed you. I mean, if you got one shot to write about yourself, in the Bible forever? Is that how you would leave off your story? And he broke down and wept. And then he got up and started to reconsider what he had done. And he realized that he had loved Jesus forever. And it was at that moment he decided he would be great and he would be Peter and he would start a global movement. Sincerely yours, Peter himself. Right? Like, What? Peter, what are you? Peter wants his audience to know, hey, I was wrong. I abandoned him. I cursed his name. I failed Jesus. Wow. In an awesome turn of events, it's the insecure person who can't admit that they failed somebody. 
It's the secure person who does not have to explain themselves. I love Peter. Peter's basically saying, I, I failed Jesus, and he doesn't even add, but, but, I know I failed him, but I did go on to do great things. I'm just saying. No, he just, no, you know, yeah, hey, man, I really didn't, you know, I didn't show up. I know I wasn't there at coffee, but I just like, I wasn't there. I'm sorry about, we, I was wrong. Man, if that was a part of preachers' lives, just pick up my own people. If just preachers could do that, well, that'd be refreshing. The third thing, we're almost done. Hopefully this has been reasonably painless. Your quietness says otherwise, but. <laughs> Number three, I was wrong about that person. Number one, I was, I was wrong, I sinned. Number two, I was wrong, I, I failed you. Number three, I, you know, I was wrong about that person. What's the last time you said something like that? You know what, matter of fact, I was wrong about her. You know what, matter of fact, I was wrong about that guy. When's the last time you heard somebody say that? It's not real normal. But you know, there's a story in the scriptures, I believe it's Acts chapter 15, where Paul, who writes more than half of the New Testament, and many of his missionary journeys are recorded in the New Testament. In Acts, Paul is recorded, he's with a man by the name of Barnabas. Barnabas has a cousin named John Mark. By the time we get to Acts chapter 15, Barnabas, Paul's like, yo, let's roll back to some cities where we started churches and check out everybody, make sure they're doing okay. And Barnabas is like, cool, let's take John Mark. And, and, and Paul's like, who? He said, John Mark, my cousin, John Mark. And Paul's like, oh no, isn't that the guy that deserted us a while back? Barnabas is like, yeah, he's my cousin though. He, he feels bad, come on, Paul. Paul's like, no. And the Bible says their, their disagreement was so strong that Barnabas took John Mark and went that way. Paul took Silas and went that way. They completely separated over this disagreement. Paul was so adamant that John Mark was a flake. He would not even allow him on their missionary journey. So Barnabas is like, that's my cousin, that's blood, okay? So I'm gonna go this way. Paul's like, cool, go that way. We're going this way. And I got a new, new guy named Silas, which is a cooler name than John Mark. Some of you are like, what's my name, man, John? My middle name's Mark. <laughs> but look at this, fast forward a few years, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11. Paul's words, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark. Same guy. Get, hey, hey, get Mark. Bring him with you. He's, he's useful in what we're doing. What? You, you, what? Same guy, what happened, Paul? This is Paul, man. This is the apostle Paul, who by the way, preached really long sermons. You should be grateful. Something like Judah, yours is long. Paul was longer, okay? Writes half the New Testament and towards the end of his life, he says, hey, get, get Mark, you know, John Mark. Everybody's like, oh, a little change of heart, huh, Paul? <laughs> and what's Paul saying? I was wrong about him. I was wrong about him. You know what's interesting? Paul got older and he got better with age. I like that. Paul was a little bit younger. He's like, nah, man, I'm writing that guy off, please. Like, we, we are ride or die. Can't roll with us and head back to see your mom. No. He gets older. He gets wiser, he gets kinder, gets more compassionate, empathetic, which is what we all ought to become with age. And he says, hey, somebody get Mark, man, my bad. I was wrong about that person. Here's my little thing, here's, here's my, my, it's a little dream, not a big dream, little dream. I think everybody should have somebody in their life that they completely wrote off and then realized they were wrong and reconnected with that person. I think that's good for the soul. Is there anybody? Now, hopefully you've not told anybody that you've written this person off. 
That's really counterproductive and also embarrassing when you reconnect with them. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You got somebody in your life, you're like, please, oh, he is so, she is out. And then suddenly, like six months from now, you're like, hey, you guys are at coffee and here comes one of your friends at your favorite coffee shop. And they're like, hey, 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 what are you? And they're like, girl, what were you? Oh my gosh, did she trap you? Did she find you there? Oh my word, was it so, was it horrible? Was it terrible? She's actually pretty nice. Pretty nice. Yeah, right. I hate her for what she did to you back in 89. You know? <laughs> hey, I'm all for boundaries. I'm all for wisdom. And there are people you should not reconnect with. Well, I understand that. But, but, but there's got to be a few people that you're like, you know what? I was wrong about you. Man... The problem was with me, not you. I was wrong. Lastly, sometimes the most challenging is I was wrong about God. Hey, um, I just wish more preachers would admit, hey, I was wrong about God. Don't think I'm wrong about who he is, but I'm wrong about a lot of things that make him who he is. I was wrong about God. You know what's true of every preacher? We all got something wrong that we think true to be true about God. Every single one of us. Somebody like Judah, we already knew that. Then I'm saying this for preachers who forgot that. Here's a fact. I can promise you right now, each and every one of us, there is some stuff right now we think about God that is wrong. Like, am I the only one that thinks it's the goal five years from now to look back at yourself and go, <laughs> I thought that? That's ridiculous. What were you thinking? Ten years from now, another look back. Fifteen years from now. I was, I was wrong. Wait, your, your theology was wrong? Not all of it, thank God. That'd be a disaster, but some of it. I have to think we, we ought to be the kind of people like, oh, I don't think that about God anymore. But God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right, and I'm not. So for me to understand God and grow in my understanding, which is eternal, I ought to be on a trajectory in this life that is continually, semi-regularly going, I was wrong about God. Isn't that crazy? I was wrong. God, you are so much better. You are so much bigger. You are so much beyond me. My bad. I was wrong about you. But here's what people think. They think they can't be effective if they're wrong about God. But actually, it's in your willingness to own your wrongness that God makes you effective in telling people about him. Yeah, I was, I was wrong. I think preachers should get rid of some of their sermons. Am I the only, can I say that? I think you should look back at your sermons and be like, oh no, we're not gonna release that one. That, one, that one's gonna die. Should write books that you look back. That's what one guy said. Nobody should write a book until they're 40 because they'll look back on books they wrote and they won't agree. Well, I wrote a bunch before I was 40. And I was just like, and there's a lot of them. I'm like, oh, but he was right. I remember feeling really mad because I was like 20 something. And he's like, don't write a book until you're 40. And I'm like, it'll be too late. I'll be so old. But <clears throat> we ought to just, that should, that should be normal to disagree with yourself should be normal for you to go, wait a minute, you know what? When I said that, hearing that, I don't even agree with that. That's not, we should be reading the storybook going, it's, wait a what? Oh, I haven't seen that before. So there's the story in the book of Acts again. There's this dynamic young teacher of scripture. His name is Apollos. Apollos. And this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, they roll up on Apollos and he is teaching passionately, didactically. It says he was profound in his delivery and speeches. 
People were astounded. They were flocking to his teachings. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Acts 18, 25 says, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside, explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, what's amazing to me about this instance is we're not actually told specifically. A lot of conjecture is out there on what Apollos didn't know about God, but we're not actually sure, which I love because it applies to all of us. Here's this, by the way, he was very effective even though he didn't have some stuff about God right. He was wrong and effective. If that isn't grace, I don't know what is. You can just be dumb and wrong, but people be like, that's good, I'm with Jesus now. You're like, this is amazing. But you know what we tell ourselves? If I'm effective, then I will never be wrong. No, it, it's your, your wrongness that makes you so relatable. People are like, if this guy can know this and believe, well, I'm, I'm in. But we perpetuate the problem because we tell ourselves, see, 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 see what I'm doing? Now, um, let me just bear with me because I'm talking to preachers now. If there's any preachers watching this, I want to remind you, ma'am, sir, that God has gifted you to do what you're doing but you got some stuff wrong about God and so do I. And you can still see results and people's lives can still change as long as we continue are willing to own who we really are. Broken, fragmented people who are sharing the story of Jesus as best we know how. And you know what I love about this story? Priscilla and Aquila are so awesome. By the way, Apollos is like cooler than Priscilla and Aquila. Can I just say it like, this is what it is. Apollos was young. Everybody was gathering. Everybody was like, ooh, this Apollos guy's amazing. And Priscilla and Aquila could have been threatened by Apollos, but they weren't. Now I'm really messing with preachers and other churches and myself in our church. Priscilla and Aquila was like, hey, Apollos, man, amazing. It was a great service. You mind? And one scholar says, I think they took him to dinner. And privately, with no one around, they said, hey, there might be a couple of things you want to consider. There's the baptism of John, but there's also the baptism of the Spirit, you know, maybe whatever their conversation would have been like. And Priscilla and Aquila, instead of going, well, that, that young man actually isn't totally right, but we're going to let him just be wrong, and we're going to go do our... They, they saw themselves on the same team. And you know, it'd be awesome to be a part of a church where when people are wrong, we don't go, hey, hey, ridiculous. You are dumb. That is terrible. What's wrong with you? But if we were a community that was like, man, what a great dinner. That was awesome. Hey, where you, you had, I'll give you a ride. Come on, let's talk. Hey, man, I could be wrong, but I think maybe a couple of things, you know, you were talking about scripture. I, I kind of see it like this. Do you see it? Is that something? And that if, if, if we had a church where we were all like ready to be wrong, you imagine what kind of dynamic progress we could make relationally, socially, emotionally? How much more improvement we could make in the human experience if we were all just like, yes, please, we didn't see someone's comments, subtle correction, or other ideas as a threat, but we saw them as an encouragement? Wow! Can you imagine what could happen the progress in our lives. And I, I end with this. There's very few people in the world that don't want to grow, don't want to grow, don't want to grow. Very few. That's my opinion. It's just my opinion. Very few. I think most of us are like, yeah, I want to grow. And we kind of look at the universe and we know everything that's, everything that's healthy grows. It grows. We got to keep growing. That's what we do. Everybody wants to grow. And I'm telling you, one of the absolute non-negotiable keys to growth is just this. I was wrong. I was wrong. There are people in the sound of my voice watching in Seattle, watching online, watching tonight in the Saban Theater, and you are craving further progress in your human development and your spiritual development, and you can't figure out why it feels like you're on this treadmill and you can't find progress. I'm telling you, this could be heaven sent for you. 
Try this. I was wrong. I was wrong. And I'm telling you, a world of growth possibilities will unfold for you. Jesus, I thank you so much for the moments that we share. I thank you for, God, what we believe you are saying to our church. We love you. We love you. You are categorically astounding. You are exceedingly abundantly above all we can think, ask, or even imagine. You are the wonder of the universe. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. God, we all in this one together. This is one that has affected us all. Our need to be right. Help us to walk in your footsteps. Help us to walk in the steps of humility. Help us to be willing to be wrong. Thank you, God. Thank you for your grace. If you're here today watching online, the app, watching in Seattle, right here at the Saban Theater, and you would like to become a follower of Jesus, I want to pray for you right now on the count of three. I'm going to ask you wherever you are, if you're watching in the cafe, watching the living room, clear across the other part of the world, you're watching right now, that you would like to become a follower for Jesus and, and receive the forgiveness that only Jesus offers, I'd like to pray for you right now. So on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand wherever you are and put it right back down. I believe when you respond physically and tangibly on the outside to what is truly happening on the inside, it becomes more real to you. That's all. You know who you are. One, two, three. If that's you, just shoot your hand up and say, I mean, that's me. I believe and I receive the forgiveness for my error, my wrong, my sin. God, thank you for your forgiveness that comes as a gift freely. You've already paid the price. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for new beginnings. We're going to be with you forever. And God, again, I pray for church home. May church home be a space and a place where we willingly admit we're wrong. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.